I have titled my message, How to Live in This Present World. I would like to direct your attention to the last two verses of the ninth chapter of Hebrews, in addition to the ones we have already read today. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him, may I emphasize that, unto them that look for him, shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. On the back of your bulletin, you could circle phrases that really bring the message into focus today. For example, in the first verses printed there, Titus 2, it talks about living soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. In the Colossians passage, put to death, therefore, what is earthly, in the first John 2 passage, abide in him. And in the first John passage, every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself. Bill Gaither wrote a song some time ago that really caught on titled, The King is Coming. To many people, that was new news. They had not been taught that in their church. It was certainly not emphasized in any of their circles. I remember when President Kennedy was elected to office in 1960. Shortly after his inauguration, Billy Graham was at the White House talking to the president about world affairs, and he brought in this great truth from Scripture about the coming of Jesus Christ. Mr. Kennedy was greatly intrigued by that information and asked Billy Graham to come back and speak to the entire cabinet about this biblical doctrine we refer to as the coming of Jesus Christ. Since the early 60s, there have been so many things happening in regard to world affairs that all of us certainly should be mindful that we are on the verge of something unusual. There is a spirit in the air that says something unusual is about to happen. Well, I have good news for you. Something good is about to happen. The coming of Jesus Christ is imminent. We believe it could be any day, any hour, as we shall point out moving along through the message today. I don't know how many people come to me as we move along and say, how do you keep above temptation? How do you keep pure in a wicked environment? How can you live triumphantly and successfully for Jesus Christ on a day-by-day -day basis? Well, here to me is the greatest incentive of all. It is the proper perspective for anyone wanting to serve Jesus Christ. Remember, he's coming back. And remember that nobody knows the day nor the hour, not the angels, not Jesus himself. Only the Father knows. If you believe he could come back today, your life today is going to reflect that belief. 
You are going to be careful about what you say, about your attitudes, about your way of life. It is the only way I know to fully keep the perspective that these scriptures talk to us about, abiding in him, purifying ourselves. It is to live with the knowledge that Jesus is going to come back. Now, before I give you my outline, let me tell you that it's a bodily return. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. He is coming in the clouds bodily and will be seen by those who are taken up to meet the Lord in the air. In a hostile world, grace is to operate with purifying results, bringing us into the very presence of the Lord one of these glorious days. Now, there are several attitudes about this doctrine that I want to mention before my outline is shared. There are people, even in religious circles, who say, this is ridiculous. I call it the sneering attitude. They just can't accept it. They can't believe that Jesus will come in a bodily form in the clouds and with a trumpet blast and the voice of the archangel, graves will open and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord. They just will not accept it. They sneer at it even in religious circles. You need to be aware of that. There is the ignorant attitude. I don't know anything about it, and don't bug me with it. But it's pretty hard not to be bugged about it because there's so many books about it. Hal Lindsey has several on the best-selling list. I was interested to read in the Bee this morning about Billy Graham that his latest book he's working on is about the horsemen of the apocalypse, out of the revelation. So, there is a great deal of interest, and it's pretty hard to maintain the ignorant attitude. Don't be so busy with the problems of life that you miss the information that is being shared with you today and in other ways. There is the mystical attitude, that he will not come bodily, and here is their belief, that he will come in a spiritual way into the heart, such as when you're converted, but that is all. Now, if that be true, then I ask, did this happen when you were converted? Was there a shout? Was there the voice of the archangel? And did you hear the trump of God? And did the dead in Christ rise from their graves? And did those that are alive and, will, and who are believers, were they caught up to meet the Lord in the air? That didn't happen then that doctrine or that belief certainly cannot be true because the Bible says all of that will happen when Jesus comes. So it can't be just in the heart. Then there's the I don't care attitude. They really believe he may come someday, but don't bug me with it. Don't bother me. I just want to live my life and let me go. Well, if the Bible emphasizes this so strongly as it does, then I hope that you will be delivered from the I don't care attitude. But those are the attitudes that are around us, and we need to take a look at the book to get the perspective. The first thing I believe the Bible wants us to realize is that 
This doctrine is to be preached and taught. We are to preach his coming. Titus 2.13 tells us to be looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of Christ. Then verse 15 tells us to speak of these things. Paul says to Titus, talk about them. Spread the news around. Don't keep it secret. Talk about it. Preach it. There are those who believe in the virgin birth. They believe in the vicarious suffering of Jesus and his death and his resurrection who do not say anything about the second coming. The Bible has more to say about his return than on many and most other subjects that we would consider theological. Therefore, it is logical for us to say we must preach all the doctrines of the faith, including the return of the Lord if we're to be faithful to this word. Now, I don't believe we ought to ride hobby horses. I don't believe we ought to go overboard or go to seed on the subject, but I do believe we ought to proclaim it and make the world aware of it, that Jesus is coming back again. And this proper perspective that the Scriptures speak about today is the essence of the message. Now, I like Mexican food. There are times when I yearn for it. I just have to find a Mexican restaurant. What is there about Mexican food that does that to you? But that's the way that stuff works. I don't know if it's the chips, the dip, or what. But from time to time, I just crave it. I don't know if there was a Mexican back there somewhere in my bloodline. <laughs> but once in a while, I just have to go get some Mexican food. But the older I get, the smarter I become. That I can't take the sauce quite as hot as I used to. <laughs> and I can't go as often as I used to. It seems to work against me, especially if it's too close together. So though I love it, I have to be moderate in it. Though I love the doctrine of the coming of Christ, we try to proclaim the whole counsel of God, and that is what we have endeavored to do during this series on discipleship. But if you're going to be a true disciple, if you're going to follow Jesus effectively, if you're going to be victorious in your Christian living, then you are going to have to keep before you this fact. Jesus is coming again, and you will stand before him, and you will give an account of yourself. Praise the Lord. Secondly, we are to look for his coming. Look means to gaze intently. This doesn't mean that we're to be so intent on looking up that we can't see the needs around us. Someone has coined the phrase, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. And that's a danger. We cannot allow that to happen. I read of a philosopher 
who walked around every night gazing up at the stars. One night he fell into a hole and died looking up at the stars. We cannot be too busy about his work and about his return that we forget the needs of this world. We are to occupy until he comes. Thank God for the choir's number this morning over the sunset mountains, and we are looking forward to that. But we cannot be so intently gazing on the mountains that we forget the needs of planet Earth. God wants us to have good balance. I think the perspective I get is seen in Gideon's army when God told Gideon to thin out the ranks. Gideon was to bring 10,000 men down to the water to drink. Those who bent over and lapped up the water like a dog drinking were to be left behind. Those who got down on their knees were also to be left behind. But those 300 that lapped up the water with their hands while still looking toward the enemy were chosen. I think that's the picture God wants us to secure in our minds. We are to be busy for Christ, yet keeping our eyes toward his return. We are to keep involved. We're to keep praying, keep witnessing, keep sharing, keep giving, but we are to be looking for his return. Perhaps we could all do well to think of it in this way. Bishop Steed, S-T-E-E-D, was a man that lived years and years ago. Every morning when the bishop got out of bed, he would go to his window, he would open the blinds, and as he looked out into the morning sky, he would say, perhaps today, perhaps today, Lord, I will be busy, but I will be ready. Then at night, he would go to the same window before dropping the shades, and he would say, looking out into the night sky, perhaps tonight, Lord, I will be asleep, but I will be ready. I will wake up when you come. I love that. Perhaps that's the perspective. Every morning go to the window and say, perhaps today, Lord, Perhaps today I will be busy, but I will be ready. And if he does not come, then at night go to the same spot and say, Perhaps tonight, Lord, I will be asleep, but I will be ready. I will awake when you come. That is to be looking for his coming. And it does something in the life when you realize it and you practice it and you enunciate it, you speak it, it does something in your heart and in your life for daily living. Thirdly, we are to pray for his coming. In the model prayer that Jesus taught us from Luke 11, he said, pray this way, thy kingdom come. Now it means really Come back, Jesus, because we can't, we can't straighten out this thing ourselves. What a smack to humanism. What a slap in the face it is to those who say we are our own gods. 
when you say, thy kingdom come, we're confessing our inadequacy. We're confessing we need him and that the only way to peace and blessing is through him. And aren't you glad the Bible teaches us of a millennium where that's really going to be the case? Where Jesus will sit in authority from Jerusalem and the whole world will be filled with his glory and the lion will lay down by the lamb and there will be peace in the earth. Thy kingdom come. Oh, I pray for it especially when jets are shot out of the air and hundreds of people die and there are murders and suicides and crime and rape and gambling and sin and adultery and all of the filth that is thrown at us today. We pray, Thy kingdom come. It's natural if your heart is right with God to pray for His coming. You have experienced, as I have, watching on television these great national political conventions. One of them will be close at hand this coming election. I watched them with their banners parading up and down the aisle, shouting, support this man. This is our man. We need this man. Then the other convention goes through it. This is our man. He's the answer to our nation's needs. But how many men are crying out, we want Jesus to reign over us. That's what our hearts should be praying. We want Jesus to reign. Thy kingdom come. The last prayer in the Bible is a prayer for His coming. Revelation 22 the Bible ends with this prayer, even so, come, Lord Jesus. You see, John had been shown by the Lord the kingdom. He had seen Jesus. Read it in chapter 1 of the Revelation, the marvelous sight John was privileged to see Jesus himself with eyes like fire, with his hair white as the snow. John was so filled with the coming of Jesus and the theme of the revelation and got so excited about it, he literally shouted from the rocks of Patmos, even so, come, Lord Jesus. When you begin to look at the things God has promised for those that love him, when you consider that we are going to walk on streets of gold where now men kill for gold, when you consider that there are going to be mansions there of blessing and glory and fellowship like we've never known, when you consider there will be no death in his presence, no sorrow, no parting, there will be no night there, should we not pray as John even so? Come, Lord Jesus, doesn't something just burn in your spirit and want you to pray it with the apostle? Even so, come, Lord Jesus. We should be praying for His coming. That's the perspective of Scripture for life today. Fourthly, we are to love His appearing. Paul was nearing the end of his life when he said in 2 Timothy 4.8, There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Then he added these significant words, But not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. Now, friends, 
Will you with me this morning, right now, ask yourself, do I love His appearing? Does the thought of the coming of Christ thrill me? Or would you have to say, there are things in my life that ought not to be there. I don't want Him to come today. I don't really love His appearing because of my heart. Are there worldly things there that need to be confessed and need the covering of His blood? Oh, don't you know that heaven is a million times better than all the things you could ever experience here? If you're holding on to a relationship that is not godly and right, if you're considering pleasures that you know will not uplift you and benefit you, if you are involved in a business venture that you know is not straight and right, if your life is involved with things that you know cannot take the stamp of God's approval, will you consider with me right now this very fact that heaven is a million times better than all of those things put together? Why hold on to it? Why not love His appearing and put these things to rest? That's the perspective that we must have. I wish women today would turn their backs on social ambition and start reading their Bibles and serving the Lord and loving His appearing. I wish men would stop striving in worldly practices at the neglect and at the cost of their Christian duty and their Christian testimony and dedicate their lives fully to the Lord Jesus Christ and be able to say, I now love His appearing. That's what Paul could do. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, but not to me only, unto all of them that love his appearing. Let the Holy Spirit strike that word into your heart. They should love His appearing. Don't, oh, please don't sit here today and say, but pastor, I've got things I want to do. Have the agape love that Paul had for his Lord and for his return. A deep, yearning, heartthrob love. He wanted to be with his Lord. As I was thinking of this truth, I went back in my mind to when I was a boy and the Second World War ended and I was on the street corner that glorious D-Day selling newspapers. It was the best day of my newspaper life. Everybody wanted a paper and everybody tipped. They were so happy to get the news. I had a stack of papers that high and they just kept streaming by and they'd give me dollar bills and man, that was a monumental amount of money when I was a boy. And the paper only cost one nickel. You remember that? I am getting old. One nickel. But I got a dollar from some of those and a quarter from most everybody. The profits were stupendous that day. Why? Because loved ones were coming home. In window after window there were these stars indicating a loved one or loved one serving overseas. That day, I heard wives shouting, My husband is coming home! 
I heard mothers say, my son will be home. And sweethearts were dancing in the streets, shouting, my sweetheart is coming home. Is that the spirit that characterizes the church today as they think of going home and being with their Lord? It should be. He's coming, and we should love His appearing, a yearning in the heart for the coming of Christ. Fifth, we are to be purified by His coming. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is, and every man that hath this hope in Him purifieth himself, even as He is pure. So many live unworthy lives because they've forgotten this great doctrine of Scripture. If we really believed He could come any minute, we would purify our lives. I'm confident of it. There are things that we have contemplated doing we would not do. We would throw all those things away that do not count. We would be purified by His coming. A little girl heard her mother and another lady talking about the return of the Lord one day. Later in the day, the mother was looking for the little girl. Couldn't find her. She hadn't been heard from for some time. And she went into her room finally and found her standing at the window looking out. The little girl said, Mother, I heard you say today that Jesus was coming back. I'm looking for him, for I want to be the first to see him. Then she said, Mommy, I took a bath and I put on clean clothes, and I am ready. I thought, oh, how beautiful. Oh, for a childlike faith. Maybe we should not stand at the window and gaze out waiting, but maybe we should think about her attitude when she went to take a bath, wanting to be spick and span, if Jesus should come and putting on the clean clothes that she found in her drawers, wanting to appear before Jesus spotless. You see, his coming ought to bring into our consciousness a spirit of purification that I could see the Lord in the next moment. Am I right with God? Is the blood covering my sin? Is my attitude what it ought to be? What a wonderful time today to take a spiritual bath as we come to this last message in this series on discipleship. To be washed, to be clean, to pray, Lord, make me a good Christian. Make me salt and make me light. Make me a disciple that you can be pleased with. Oh, Jesus, touch me now. Help me to pull away from the things of this world. You can count on me, Lord. I am purified by the message of your coming. I believe, Lord, you may come today. Are you ready? Bear Bryant, the great coach of 
Alabama for over 30 years, died last year. Just before he died, a reporter was talking to the great Bear Bryant, and the reporter asked him this question. If you could live your life over again, what would you do differently? The great bear said, I would be a Christian. You see, Bear Bryant had a Pentecostal Assemblies of God mother, but Bear Bryant didn't have time to be a Christian. And he went so quickly so suddenly. I wonder if it would not be so of many of us if we were to answer that same question. I would be a Christian. Or I would be a better Christian. Or I would be a more dedicated Christian. A more alive Christian. I see a lot of young people here today. I want to tell you there's no perspective like the perspective of the return of Jesus to take you through school victoriously. You don't have to succumb to the pressures. If you remember, Jesus may come at any moment, and he's far more important than any friend or any pressure. True for the businessman, true for the college student, the coming of Jesus is a purifying factor don't come to the end and have to say, if I had it to do all over again, I would be a Christian. Be able to say, I wouldn't change a thing. I've been a Christian and I have been looking for my Lord's return. That is the perspective. Our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior. Even Jesus Christ, our Lord. Oh, I feel this in my heart today. God can make us a more dynamic people. God can make us a more effective people if we will keep the proper perspective, purifying ourselves by this knowledge, abiding in Him that when He shall appear, we will have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. Let the Holy Spirit do a work in you as we consider this dynamic doctrine of discipleship. Let us bow in prayer, please all over the building. Oh God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus today who said himself, be not troubled, I will come again and receive you unto myself. We believe those words are going to be fulfilled and they will be fulfilled soon. Lord, the tendency and the temptation is great to follow the way of the world. And nobody here is perfect. We're all pilgrims struggling along the road trying to be like Jesus. Forgive us for our sins. Cleanse us from our iniquities. And help us, O oh God, to live from this day forward with this knowledge ever before us. Jesus is coming again.
Purify yourself thereby. Touch the sinner who has not received Christ as yet. May this be that day of birth for them in the Spirit. Touch the cold and lukewarm, the backslider. Draw them back to the cross by this theme today through the Holy Spirit. And help us all to be greater witnesses, to take advantage of the great opportunity that is just ahead of us through this great area-wide crusade. We believe Jesus is coming. We'll get people there. We'll be praying. We'll be trusting. We'll be investing. Touch us, Lord. By your Spirit we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us stand, please, everyone together. My altar call is very simple and very quick. If you have sat through this message and the Spirit of God has been prompting your heart, you know you're not really ready. If this should be the day Jesus should come, I want you to come to this altar. Give your life to Christ. If you have received him and you know that you're lukewarm, there is not a fire burning in your heart and the things of this world have allured you, come to this altar. If you don't love his appearing, come to this altar. That's the perspective of this hour. Don't hesitate. The Spirit of God draws you. No matter what your background, I've preached to you the Word of God today. It's right out of this book. It's not some of man's idea. It's God's Word for this hour. Come, give yourself anew to Jesus at this altar as we sing together. He's coming soon. He will meet you. You will step out in faith. I open the altar to you. Don't hesitate. Move right out and move here. You know whether or not you're anticipating his return and if you're truly ready.